Welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. My name is Brett English. Today we're going deep with Satara Fee, who is one of the top five ranking mediums in the USA. She's a multi-dimensional business doula, a psychic, and an astrologist, here to help you to embody your higher self and live out your life's purpose. Stick around. Now, I really wanted to ask you, um, first and foremost, is how this work really unfolded for you, because you have quite a unique set of gifts, both mentally and spiritually, and how did this all yes. unfold? Uh, well, <clears throat> I was born I was born a medium, which means I was born with the ability to communicate with spirit. I didn't always understand what exactly that meant or like how to handle it. So I had a couple of times when I was like nine years old. One of them specifically was that I felt two spirits in my room. There were two male spirits and, you know, I threw a tantrum and couldn't sleep in my bedroom sort of thing. I didn't realize until years later that that's what was happening because it was just something that happened. You know, I wasn't trying to make it happen. Uh, and so it was quite scary. So I think as a young girl, I started to turn my abilities off and just do what I could to mm, be as normal as possible. Um, now, my mother was training like she was doing some psychic development classes when I was a little girl so I was aware that it existed but I didn't really comprehend or understand what it meant um and then fast forward you know kind of made it through high school but I'd have these experiences where I'd be at a house party and I'd see someone's dead relative sitting in the living room sort of thing and I was you know thinking I'm going crazy but also knowing that I'm a medium so it was it I didn't have a lot of people I could talk to about it so it wasn't like it wasn't like, oh, yay, you have abilities and it's great. It was like, what the heck? How do I turn it off? And I actually think that that's something that's pretty common with a lot of sensitives that just don't know how to talk about it, who to talk to about it, all sorts of stuff. Mm. Um, and so being being in that place and being in that position, <clears throat> like I said, I just I tried to turn it off. I use drinking yeah. a lot. Alcohol is something that numbs our abilities and our senses and also is easily one of the most detrimental things that um, mediums can do and especially trans mediums. So like what Esther does with Abraham, that's called trans mediumship. It's where she will leave her body and then Abraham comes through and channels through her. Uh, that is a natural ability that I have. And so with alcohol it's one of those things like they call it spirits for a reason that you actually pop in and out of your body it's a it's a complete dissociative and so after years of drinking and trying to turn it off and just numbing other traumas and pains that happened when i was younger in my early 20s i finally got to a point where i was getting my degree in psychology uh, I understood that that was along the lines of what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to do something in the sense of helping people heal. Um, and I also was raised with, you know, like a beautiful family, but also internal dysfunctional patterns. And so I wanted to understand why some of the dynamics that were going on when I was growing up, like why they were. Uh, and so got my degree in psychology. When I was studying psychology, I found that psychology only focused on mind and body. It was not, it didn't satiate the answers I was looking for. Um, 
for me, when I started learning about multiple personality disorder and learning that there are different physiological responses in a person's body when one person, when one personality is in and when it changes to another personality, I was like, is that there a says, component to that as well? Yes, exactly. And same with schizophrenia. So when I was learning about all of this and psycholo psychology is like, well, we just put them on lithium and basically numb them for the rest of their lives and just like pretend they don't exist. I'm like, this makes no sense. And at the yeah. same time, I had started taking meditation classes uh, at a place called the Berkeley Psychic Institute. And it ended up being like psychic kindergarten. And it was so refreshing for me because it was like jumping on a bike that I already knew how to ride that I didn't even know existed. And so when I started learning the techniques and some of the things they were talking about, it was so refreshing because it was like, one, it helped me to understand that the way that I experienced the world wasn't normal. And that was one of the things that was super challenging for me was that I thought that everybody experienced the world and life the way that I did. And I didn't know that I was different in that sense. And so mm -hmm. I learned a lot in that way. <clears throat> and then the other thing that really, that really got me was learning that what we visualize and what we see with our eyes closed is so much more real than we think. And once those things started clicking and I have very, very strong clairvoyance, uh, my ability to see is, it's quite, it's just quite strong. Although my natural sense, my, my natural and strongest sense is clairsentience, meaning I can feel the emotions and energy of other people. Um, so learning how to harness those things were, I would say like the, the most critical pieces that helped me to really click and understand. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you want to go into it, but I have, I have like a story that actually was the, the kicker that brought me out of psychology and into the world of psychic understanding. Um, yeah, that would it be just great. Made, it, it made so much sense. I don't think I've ever shared this on recording. I think I've only ever shared this, you know, in conversation. Um, so I had, I had had really bad tinnitus in my ear, like horrible ringing in my ear. And I went to, I went to Las Vegas for family function and came back and the ringing in my ear had gotten worse and I couldn't find like, I just couldn't find any sort of answer and doctors and anything. They're like, you know, there was just no explanation sort of thing. And this is just like full-time permanent. Full-time ringing in my ears. Um, I also, at this time, I was really curious about Dr. Brian Weiss's um, work, or like past life stuff. I'd started remembering my past lives in psychology. I started getting involved in transpersonal psychology, which is really what they call the woo-woo. It's like, it doesn't hold a lot of clout in the field of psychology. And I, I went to Sonoma State, which is the most liberal psychology like department in school that you can find. So the fact that even there, they were calling it woo-woo was so disappointing to me. <laughs> I was yeah, really yeah. looking for the magic. Um, but so I was having this ringing in my ears. I started doing some past life um, regressions. I just did a past life meditation. And so I had done this past life meditation. I'm like 21 years old. I'm by myself in my bedroom. And all of a sudden I can smell this like putrid smell of 
of a marketplace. I could feel the cobblestone under my toes. I looked down and I could see that my feet were not my feet. I was wearing like a burlap sack with a rope tied around it. And I just wow. had this super visceral experience that felt it was even stronger than a dream or stronger than a memory. Like it was so profound. And I immediately had this feeling of being chased. Like I was in a panic mode. And so I go into this scene in this past life and I'm being chased. I'm being like, yeah, followed through this marketplace and I end up going into a dead end. And as I go into a dead end, I see myself being murdered and I watch myself as my spirit leaves my body. I'm 21 years old. This is like the third time I've experienced a past life, but I'm by myself and I'm like, like, what did I just do? I am freaking out at this point. I'm like, I need some answers. What just happened that was definitely real. Um, and so between the ringing in my ears, I'm driving down the road with, you know, within that week, and I see an A-frame for uh, psychic readings on the sidewalk. So I pull in, they're doing like $10, 15 minute reading sort of thing. This woman, she was dressed like a zombie because it was like Halloween. So they're all dressed up as cute. So I'm sitting in front of her and I share with her a little teeny bit, one about like what was going on with my ears and then two, uh, a little bit about this past life. And so it was one of those experiences where it literally was, there's absolutely no way she ever could have known because I told her a teeny tiny bit about the life. And then she went into detail describing almost even more clearly than I could, what I had seen and what I had experienced. And wow. so she was able to help me reconcile um, the feelings that I was having of watching myself be murdered in that lifetime, because it was almost like a memory. And then I could feel that my spirit was trying to process this information, but the egoic consciousness that is me didn't really have the tools to be able to like comprehend or understand what was happening. So it was just like kind of running a loop. Um, and so after having that experience and having her go through it with me completely and being able to actually kind of reconcile what that was, I remembered that the ringing in my ears, it didn't completely stop, but it definitely got better. Like there was a, a bit of a relief where I could at least study for what I was studying for and that sort of thing. Uh, and then also she said to me, like, you know, you know that you're vibrating at a very high frequency of psychic resonance. And I said, well, like, yes, I know that I, I know that it runs in my family sort of thing. And she said, like, it's, it's time for you to start understanding and connecting with what that means. Like when you are able to understand how to use your abilities, it will be a lot easier for you to exist in this world rather than just being out of control and feeling everything and not knowing how to discern what's my feelings, what somebody else's, all of this stuff. And so it was like that pivotal moment because even though I had these abilities, I had, I've, I had to go through so much doubt, so much of my own skepticism, so much of my, is this real? Is that not real? How can you tell? I, I had to go through all of that in, in the same way that everybody else does. Uh, and it was just a part of the early stages of my journey. But those are two like really significant conversations that I had that turned it on for me and turned my yeah. curiosity, not from a curiosity, but it, it, it was like, what started the the passion of the curiosity and exploration. Did that happen to you twice? So once when you were about nine years old and you sort of forced shut down those abilities. And then again, when you're 21, when you had the tinnitus reappear. 
Mm-hmm. Is that how it went down? Or did you have that the whole time? No, the tinnitus, the tinnitus was kind of in and out. And I don't really have, I still don't have like a clear explanation for the tinnitus other than it was something that was so disruptive to my ability to focus that I had to look for alternative methods. I had to look for something, you know? So yeah. if, if, a, if a doctor couldn't tell me, and then, you know, you could find like tinnitus pills, but they're like, well, they work after six months. Well, what happens with tinnitus is you eventually end up going tone deaf. You just don't hear that tone that's ringing anymore. And so to have relief after doing the reading to me was significant. It was like the energy of whatever was causing it shifted in a way where healing was able to, I was able to understand and comprehend healing in a different way. It was my first real experience with like energetic healing. Um, that it was like, there were just a few key points for me as a 21 year old going to college, you know, living away from my family and all this stuff. How am I, you know, trying to figure out how the world works and how I fit in the world. And psychology wasn't really answering the questions I had, but then all of a sudden this one woman was able to answer so many questions for me that psychology would never be able to touch. I could never go to a psychologist with that past life experience and have them explain to me in detail and help me to fully comprehend and understand what had happened. Yeah. And so that, that for me was where I was like, okay, well, I want to personally combine my experience and understanding in psychology with what's going on with the world of being a psychic. Mm. Now, in your experience, can anybody actually be a medium if they train towards it? Or is it something that's naturally done over many, many lives and you can't, don't really have a choice in the matter? Well, um, I like the way that you frame that because we're living in a lifetime right now, right? So the way that I see it is this lifetime is an opportunity for us to be able to cultivate those gifts. Mm. So, and especially living during this period of time right now, like we are living during the great awakening. The planet is vibrating in a frequency that it has never vibrated at before. There's more human embodied souls than there ever has been before. There's a different kind of magnitude to what we're able to access now than what we have been able to access in the past. And part of that has to do with that there is a lot more chaos. There's a lot more chaotic energy on the planet. And I, I'm a believer that if you're able to pierce through that chaos and still find clarity, then it strengthens, it strengthens your resolve, it strengthens your ability, it strengthens, you know, your connection in a way, you know, if you're able to find your center in the middle of Times Square, it's a little bit more difficult than finding your center on the top of a mountain and receiving messages in that way. True. That's very, very true. And I'm very intrigued about your gift in regards to mediumship and how you could actually see spirit just sitting on the couch or just almost as if you were seeing them with your physical eyes. Do you believe that you were seeing them with your physical eyes or your third eye was merging with this reality? Well, I'll answer that in a little bit of a different sense is that we have the ability to read energy with our eyes closed. A lot of times I, I, I say that I see better with my eyes closed. Um, but ultimately, we also... Uh, our third eye can be open when our eyes are open. It just takes a matter of being able to, it's, it's trial and error and just getting better at being able to connect with what that energy is. And knowing that when, like if my eyes are closed and I'm saying, I see this or I see this, it, it's that I am using my clairvoyance to be able to see the picture or see the image or see whatever it is, the information that's there. 
Um, and so a lot of people, when they hear that, because we're using the same word, you know, I see, they think, well, we're using our, our eyeballs. Have I seen energy move with my eyeballs? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Have I seen colors? Have I seen auras? Have I seen things? Yes, with my, my eyeballs, yes. And when we are reading energy, because everything is energy, our clairvoyance, our energy body is multidimensional. So our physical body is in the third dimension. Our energy body is deeply connected to the fifth dimension and beyond. So mm -hmm. our energy body is what's connecting in the fifth dimension. And so that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And yeah, because I, I, me, myself, personally, and a few people that I know um, have actually seen spirit, but we've seen it in ways of like sleep paralysis, four in the morning, um, in those sort of aspects. We haven't been able to convert it over into, so you say, channeling for somebody or really right. doing a reading. It's almost like an involuntary response to a certain entity that happens to be in the home at this time or, yeah, or yeah, on psychedelic sleep paralysis is absolutely terrifying. I am not mm. a fan of that experience. Have you experienced that before? I have. I have. Yeah. And you know, I actually haven't experienced it in, in a long time. I, in having those experiences, um, like I used to do readings and stuff at music festivals, you know, when people are doing psychedelics and drinking and that sort of thing. Mm. And I've come back from those experiences and have had sleep paralysis from the entities that I was kicking out of the person's field or body. And as a novice, I didn't do a good enough job of clearing the field and sending them on their way and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, through just getting better at my job and getting better at protecting myself, um, I, I don't go to sleep somewhere without setting up an angel fortress of protection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so well. in that sense, these, these lower vibrational entities that are going to come in and basically get in the way of your astral body and your physical body so that you can't come back in it. They're just not, they're not going to be in the space. Cause if you set a field that's at a different frequency, they, they literally can't touch it. They can't get in. Wow. Well, I feel like that's where I'm at currently um, in life. <laughs> so I'm looking to work through that, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, why we've connected in the way we have yeah um, it's all strength training you know mm. the sleep paralysis i mean there there's there's a lot of historical experiences where people have died from sleep paralysis um mm. i don't i don't i was just recently watching a show and they were saying that the people from vietnam that they had brought into the united states as refugees they mm. came here and then they weren't doing their practices. And then they actually had quite a high population of, I think, men that were between like 30 to 40 or something that were dying in their sleep from this sleep paralysis phenomenon. And wow. so, and, and their spiritual practices allowed them to be able to say, yeah, it's the entities. It's because we're not clearing the space. It's because we're not sending our blessings. It's because we're not doing these things. So mm. there's, there's a lot to learn when we start interacting with the spirit world. And a lot of people get really freaked out about it. And they're like, well, there's demons and there's, a, okay, well, there's really bad people. You're still a human. Like you're going to interact with dark energy. For me, it's, I would just rather know that it's there and I'd rather be able to interact with it in the way that I want to interact with it rather than just being subject to blind influence. 
Mm. And is there any rules that you follow or any sort of system or practices that you follow when you are connecting with spirit and working with it in that way to ensure that you are safe and making the right channels and not allowing room for any of these things to come in or interfere with your work and with your channel? It all comes down to embodiment, all Mm. to embodiment. If you do not want darkness in your body and you do not want to interact with dark energy, stay Mm. in your body, stay light, stay clear. You know, it's when we welcome dark energy in and we know what behaviors and choices and actions we take that welcome it in. Mm. You know, there's, we know how it works. A lot of people want to say that they're a victim to circumstance or this, that, or the other. We always have choice. Mm. We always have choice. Beautiful. And you talked a little about your, your rise program, what you're actually doing and offering people in this space. Yeah. So I started doing business coaching in 2016 after I hired my first business coach. And I, I just found that I really had a knack for it. Everyone in my mom's side of my family and everyone on my father's side of my family, they're all entrepreneurs. Uh, and so it's one of those, it's one of those things that I felt was just baked into the bedrock of, of my makeup is having a keen sense of awareness on, uh, of, on business. How do we take an idea and make money doing it? Um, I really believe that when you commit to growing your soul-centered business, when you have an idea, when you have a vision, when you have something that is birthed out of the origins of your own heart, that there's a desire and there's a pull and there's something that just is insatiable about why you want to do it. When you embark on that journey, and especially when you are, you know, stepping forward and saying, I am offering this. I am saying that I can change your life in this way. I am da da da, and it's X amount of dollars, whatever that be. It's it literally it shines a light on every insecurity that you could possibly have. Every area where you feel you're not valuable enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not confident enough, you're not blank 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 enough, um, and so when you start the endeavors of growing a soul-centered business and doing something that you want to do that's putting yourself in front, I, I believe that's one of the most spiritual things you can do because you have to heal your shortcomings. If you want to succeed in that way, you have to heal your shortcomings. It, it's like, it's a way that you become more whole. It's a way that Spirit will always bring you clients or opportunities or certain things that are a mirror to you. And so when we're able to see and witness every single person as our greatest teacher and embark in being able to make our divine purpose also our career path, there's something really extraordinary that comes through that and from that. And so that's where I get really passionate about how do I want to use my abilities? I want to use my abilities to be able to help people heal, but to also be able to create a heaven on earth reality. Because I believe that healers, intuitives, creatives, visionaries that want to be doing something, they're serving humanity in a way that is offering the betterment of all people involved. 
and yes, it can be for profit. I'm not like, I don't have a whole lot of this idea that healers need to be doing healing the world for free. That makes no sense. It's not the world. It's not the modern day world that we're living in. And I actually think being able to overcome the fear around making money is something mm -hmm. that like we as a community, we as a group are actually breaking down that belief system and structure. Because I also believe that healers, light workers, people whose heart is so pure that they want to help people when those people have more money and the, the balance of finances is tipped and turned a little bit into their favor, they're going to do extraordinarily beautiful and beneficial things with it. And, and that to me is where I get passionate about teaching people how to develop their psychic abilities, using their own intuitive, keen sense of awareness, connection to source and growing a business in that way. So that's really what RISE is about. It's about moving through those blocks, strategizing, getting better at finances, getting better at being an alchemist and bringing that vision into reality. Beautiful. Almost like you're merging properly with the third dimensional world and creating your reality as you would Absolutely. want it from your soul level. Yeah. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to ask you with your working with your guide. Now, with your gifts that you have, you can see a lot of spirit. Do you have a specific mm -hmm. set of guides that you see regularly that sort of feed you information? and work with you and introduce themselves as your guides to you or yes i it's kind of like yes and no i i've started i read the book um the sophia code which is an absolutely it was an absolute game changer for me i started channeling light language in march of 2020 and was referred to the sophia code i think a couple months later which helped me to understand where my light codes were coming through and from, um, which is for me most closely associated with the goddess Hathor who led Egypt through uh, a golden age, uh, whose lineage gets passed down to Isis, whose lineage gets passed down to uh, Mary Magdalene. And so there's, and I would say the divine feminine ascended masters that show up through the Sophia code are the ones that I call on, I'd say most frequently. Mm. Um, but it also just kind of depends on where I'm at and what I'm specifically kind of going and growing through. And simultaneously, I'm also a believer that the world that we see in our clairvoyant reality is an emanation from what's going on within. So I believe that our higher self has many different emanations. I do believe that we are the oneness of all creation, that we are the embodiment of source consciousness. And so as we see that we have these mirrored reflections of ourselves in infinite ways around us. And so in the sense of who do I call on or who do I work with, um, it really just kind of depends on what I'm experiencing at that time mm. to go real cosmic Hathor and green Tara. They're there when I'm, you know, wanting to do a little bit more exploration. Uh, mother Mary is there when I'm going through some emotional upheaval or breaking down family ancestral patterns. Mary mm. Magdalene is there when there's entities that need to be released um 
Jesus Christ shows up with her. He showed up for me when I was in Dubai. I was working in Dubai and I was way far out of my comfort zone in every meaning of that, in every sense mm. of that term. And there was a moment where I was just kind of praying to source. And I was like, I am so freaking honored that you think I am ready for this. Cause I know you wouldn't dish me anything that I am not ready for, but this is like, I'm, I'm saying uncle, I'm like, this is like, this is the point mm. where I am like, oh my gosh. Um, and it was in that moment that very strong Jesus Christ was there. And I was raised Presbyterian. I was raised in the Christian church and, you know, kind of stepped away from it to accept my own abilities because there's not a lot of room to accept yourself as a medium inside of those walls. And, and so there's, there's been a different kind of connection and relationship that has forged for me with some of these ascended masters and seeing them as walking humans on earth that have left a legacy. Um, mm. So they show up as well. Kuan Yin. Um, Kuan Yin, is that um, the, a female? Was she a Buddhist? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she, her message, her message and her experience really really resonated with me when I started learning about the history of her uh human incarnation mm. it it struck me I had I, I've had to read it a few times because of how impactful it was for me um mm. her message has a lot to do with the connection to compassion and unwavering compassion compassion in the sense that like we think compassion almost as like a, a weak frequency or something that we have to get to that's not like strong or forceful or anything like that. But if when you really, really, really connect with what is compassion, compassion to be able to forgive somebody that has committed atrocities and in her sense was that her village was burned, her family was murdered, she was raped and left for dead, lived in, in the um, forest for seven years. Uh, ended up connecting or Mahatma Avatar Babaji, who's also an ascended master, um, found her and started helping to re rehabilitate her into the world. And so through her journey of being able to truly forgive these men or these people that destroyed her village, destroyed her family, took everything away from her that she had ever known, like we can't even fathom that level of pain. Like we can't even really fathom what that experience was like. And so her legacy comes through the embodiment of compassion that is that goes beyond forgive them for what they did for they did not know. It's like, it goes so much deeper into the sense that that compassion from the divine mother, like if there's any aggression, if there's any attack, if there's anything coming, compassion immediately dissolves it on contact there's no room for it there's nothing for it to grab onto there's nothing it's it literally transmutes all other currencies and all other frequencies on contact there's mm -hmm. no way for them to coexist so Kuan Yin has been uh, an ascended master that's helped me to heal through some sexual traumas that I experienced at a younger age too you know and I believe that that occurred in my life to be able to understand the reawakening of the divine feminine uh, on this planet at this time. Wow. 
I'm going to uh, do some research onto onto her because that sounds like an incredible story. And she did come through to me in a healing session when I went to go see a um, energetic healer, which I just remembered then because it's been such a long time that the name just brought back that memory. Um, what do you think are some of the things that are causing the mental health crisis that we're seeing today, and the a lot of a lot of suicides and things that have really gone to an extreme level? Is that part of the ascension symptoms that we're experiencing, or? What do you think is really happening uh, on a global scale there? That's a really big and great loaded question. <laughs> it is um, a big one. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I just really feel I'm, that. I'm, up, I'm here for it. Let, let's okay. go there. <laughs> um, there. Well, there's a lot. The first thing I think to just kind of open, open the door on that is that we are inundated absolutely inundated with entities in this world parasitic entities um and the reason that let me find my words because it's like there's so much information that i want to say at one time The entities that are in this world that find the access point in humans that feed off of pain, sadness, grief, discomfort, chaos, rage, these lower level frequencies that literally will spin people on loops. There's, there's so much of that going on on this planet. So when people start being able to see into the fifth dimension beyond the third and recognizing, okay, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of that. There are literally beings, literally entities that feed off of chaos and fear. So as long as that's occurring, there's a loop that's happening. And so we can see it if we know how to look at it, if we know how to view that perspective. So um, video games, they really incite a lot of subconscious violence like the way that we program our subconscious mind is by, by going into an alpha or theta state. When we're watching TV or we're watching a program, we're literally in a hypnotic state. We're in can a trance state. Can I share with you a story on that quickly? Because this seems Please. quite relevant. Yeah, jump in. One, one of my good friends, his father is a pastor from South Africa and he would do exorcisms quite regularly. Mm -hmm. And, um, his son, which is my friend, was playing a video game. It was some very violent video game. And there was a voiceover in the video game talking about certain things and missions. And the voiceover mentioned a name. I'm not going to say the name, but a particular name of something you need to go and battle. And the dad got really worried. He's like, whoa. He's like, when he was doing an exorcism in Africa, there was a demon that apparently was in this child that was speaking to him. And it gave its name. And the same name was in the video game. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was quite shocked to believe that they're actually putting real dark entities names in video games that are given to children, which oh, you yeah. don't really know. Is oh, that yeah. really casting them into this world or it seems because someone's name is like their phone number in a spiritual sense. So it's, yes, that for me was like a, a, wow, a wow moment when it was sort of like, wow, they're really going deep on the, um, on the, on the dark sides there. Oh, it's very much um, real. I, I was, I was alarmed absolutely alarmed and shocked when I went to see um Dr. Strange um okay. the last one 
So yeah. the first one I was really excited about because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I went and I saw it with a partner that I was seeing at the time. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of what it's like for me when I'm telling you that I'm seeing be like all that. I'm like, okay, thank goodness. Like there are some movies that I feel like do a really good depiction of what that's like. Soul by Pixar. They did a great job as a, as a medium with being able to communicate with baby beings, beings that are ready to incarnate and also beings wow. that have passed. That movie, Soul, I absolutely recommend. Beautiful. Now, when, when I went and saw Doctor Strange, I, I have some witchy friends and some warlock friends. I spent the entire pandemic in Bali two and a half years. And so I was with around, I, I was surrounded by a lot of people who are magical in their own sense. And so mm -hmm. I learned a lot about sigils from a friend of mine who studied a lot of Aleister Crowley stuff. And that's, that's, you know, some of us magical people, we all have our own lane. We're like, yes, you're magic. You do that. You do the tarot readings. You do the light language. You do, like, we all kind of have our own lane sort of thing. Yeah. So I learned enough from a couple of my friends to understand how it works. Now, when I went to see Dr. Strange, they have the, the villain in it. That's a very powerful witch. They weren't even hiding it. Now, the thing about this is that a sigil is essentially a, a seated symbol. And this was something that I actually knew how to do with my own logo. And I knew how to do with things as one of those, I think, just natural knowings that I came into this world with were not, you know, some things we naturally know how to do. This was something that I naturally knew how to do and nobody had taught me. So when I learned about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Well, in this movie, there is so much of it. And so the seated symbols, I'll explain it a little bit more, is that you can take a symbol and I do, I actually do it with my logo. So you can, can we see this? <laughs> so this is my logo. It's a tree of life over the flower of life. And then monad in the center. It's the individual. We could go into it, but we don't have to. Um, so I will set a prayer and intention into this. But my prayer and intention is for the awakening, for the illumination, for the, the deep conscious connection from people who see this symbol so that they will feel a certain way that it will evoke a certain sense. Now, of course, the tree of life and the flower of life have ancient meanings as well. So that's going to evoke something as well. But let's say I just, you know, had a circle and put an S in it and did the same thing. I set a prayer and I set an intention. I create a seated, <clears throat> connection onto this so that when somebody sees it it's actually going to evoke a feeling it's going to evoke something and they might not understand it but they'll feel it this is seated symbols this is in everything this is in the healthcare system this is in propaganda this is in government systems this is in logos this is in everything so these seated symbols actually program your subconscious so if you know about it, or if you don't know about it, it doesn't really matter because the feeling sense is still there. It still leads an imprint. So these sigils, and the thing is, is you can have like a master of the sigil and, or let me also put it this way. Um, I had a friend that created orgone pendants, uh, and orgone pendants are, they're, they're a bit of an emanation of consciousness. And similar to an artist, if an artist is creating something, the art has an imprint of themselves. 
But when you're working with something that like orgone that has a consciousness to it, that, that heals or that moves energy, uh, that can shift the frequency. It's like, if there is a masterpiece, so like, let's say that there's like the pyramid that is, this is the transmitter. This is the radio location. This is what's transmitting the energy. There will be a felt sense of connection to the originator that goes through kind of at all times. So if you want to broadcast something and you can do this telepathically, but if you're using physical medallions or physical tools or sigils or that sort of thing, it still leads a broadcast. So the broadcast itself is what's felt. So when I was watching the Dr. Strange, I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, I can tell what's happening here. And it's not just, oh, well, this is the dark witch. And of course the woman who's a villain and it's a bad guy and all the blah, blah, blah. Like we don't even need to get into that. But then this is what happens in this movie that really, really jolted me was in the alternate reality, Dr. Strange goes and he's in a, like a parallel lifetime essentially. And in this parallel lifetime, uh, the other Dr. Strange had gotten in trouble. He had like killed a bunch of people or something like that. So he was in like most wanted jail, some, something along these lines or he had been killed. So he goes to speak to the council that he needs to talk to, to reconcile things, to fix it in his timeline. And he goes, and as he's going to talk to them, it's, it's all the superheroes. It's like the superheroes that are the Avengers and I'm not super into Marvel. So I might be getting my words a little bit wrong, but it's all the superheroes. So it's the people that we feel really good about because they're the ones that have saved all of us in other movies and all the, you know, the American drama of New York's about to blow up and all of a sudden the superheroes come and they save everybody. So this audience or this group of people, they then turn around and they're called the Illuminati. And it's like, there was a literal gasp in the movie theater of what? What's happening? So when you're asking, why is there chaos? Why is there destruction? Why is there fear mongering? Why are there unhealthy people? Why aren't people getting well? Why are people separating? Why are all these things going on? The messages that are subconsciously programmed into our media and in our movies are absolutely destructive to the unification of the human connection. And that is what we thrive on. That is how we become stronger. That is how we become better. That's how we create more love and all of it in the last few years has been designed to separate humans, to divide and divide and divide and divide and divide. So if we want to take that another step further and say, why is that happening? Who is in charge of creating these circumstances? What's actually going on? That's a whole other conversation. And it's not even necessarily something that I feel is my soapbox or what I need to like, you know, grab the torch and lead the way. So what I choose to focus on vehemently is anchoring heaven on earth. And that it literally comes back to rise. It literally comes back to the program. How am I doing that? I'm doing everything I can to find soul-centered entrepreneurs who have a vision that I believe is associated with their divine purpose and do everything I can to encourage them to fully live out their purpose 
because I believe the light workers that are here that have dreams and visions of helping and healing people and unifying and doing trauma work and breath work and all of the things and nutrition to bring a person from trauma, traumatized to whole, healthy, healed, vibrating in a beautiful light illuminated way that that is the way that we are actually going to be able to transmute and clear all of this. Like we do not, we cannot underestimate what one, one illuminated being in a field of destruction and chaos can actually do to transmute and change the entire field. So the influence that goes on for light workers, embodied light workers in the collective unconscious is wildly wild it's so incredibly strong it's Mm. so incredibly strong and i think that a lot of what's gone on in the media has done a lot to deteriorate the human potential and the human capacity through Mm. heart-centered awareness that's that's very true i honestly believe that the energy that we have access to now is so powerful and so high vibratory with the veils thinning we have such an opportunity now to have expansive growth very, very quickly and connect with ascended masters who are really looking to help us. But at the same time, I think when the light starts to emerge, the adversary will try to smother it and try to distract us with these movies and Hollywood and all sorts of drama on the TV, which we won't go into. But I can see that the parallel, like the opportunity is great, but also the distractions are just as great also. So it's almost like Absolutely. a spiritual war, isn't it? It's, I, yeah, I think it is. Mm. I didn't really want to accept that (laughs) for a long time. You know, it's kind of nice to be Pollyanna and just love and light. But I mean, you learn to channel beings, you're going to see demons. Mm. You learn to, you know, speak light. I think part of the reason that I know how to speak light codes and why it came through so strong for me is because I spent so much time in the darkness. Like my healing exactly? journey and my experience of learning to accept my own gifts and my own abilities came through a lot of trauma. It came through a lot of abuse. It came through my own alcoholism, my own, like I, I was in the trenches for a long time. And so learning how to get out of that and learning how to anchor my own sovereignty in my own body and how to really, you know, fortify a strength within me that is gentle and compassionate and still assertive in a way that can create a movement you know that can create something worthwhile that's important and for me it's not about leaving a legacy it's not about money it's not about any of that it it, for me it's about satiating this desire within myself to to fulfill why i came into this world You know, I I have the memory of signing the contract. I have the memory of volunteering and saying, I'll take that lifetime. I have those memories that have come to the forefront for me that I call soul memories, which is why in my teachings and everything, I focus a lot on soul memories. I believe that our soul has the memories of where our soul has been. And that is accessed through healing the heart. If your heart is closed, you're not going to be able to communicate truly with your soul. So we have to heal our heart. We have to heal the bitterness. We have to heal the resentments, all the grief, all the, all the everything that keeps our heart closed in order to be able to see the truth of our own divinity and to experience it. And for me, once I really started tasting that and embodying it and feeling it on a very visceral level, 
you know, everything for me just kind of moved out of the way and I knew what was a priority. I knew what became my priority, wow. which was really seeing like, you know, I came here for a reason <laughs> for sure. Mm. As we all did. Yeah. So it's about the crux of all this, how to activate our gifts, how to find our soul's mission and purpose and, and soul memories is all from healing the heart. Um, do you have any practices that you do on a daily basis that really help you connect with your heart, heal it and open it more to receive more knowledge and insight and awareness? Honestly, just setting the intention of what you just said. I touched my heart and I set the intention of receiving more knowledge, awareness and, and, and clarifying. And when I find those hiccups, when I find the triggers, when I have some stuff that's going on, you know, I was just sick, um, with my family past Christmas and the family patterns that were coming up, like those are our deepest, most angsty wounds are the ones that we learn from family and then have to unravel. <laughs> so like in those spaces, it, I, I've learned to just be so, to meet my heart with so much compassion and to be willing to see what are my patterns. Please show me what I am refusing to see. Please tell me what I am refusing to hear because that allows room for that heart consciousness to open and to compassionately show me where I am unconsciously sabotaging myself or whatever patterns are coming up that is a little bit destructive. Um, and so just daily practice, daily diligence a willing to be open my heart or a willing to open my heart and to see how open it can be. Like, why yeah. not? <laughs> I love what you said there about this, about setting the intention every day. And sometimes it's like asking you shall receive. It's like yeah. so simple. We have to complicate it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when it comes to things like um, the ego, and I know the term's thrown around quite loosely, in different different communities it means one thing in psychology and one thing in spiritual practices how would you define the ego and what exactly is it ah the ego i love this i love i love this because the reels that are showing up on my instagram right now are actually clips from uh, a three-day seminar that i led and so right now like the theme of the ego is really active in that i've been re revisiting these concepts so yeah. i love that you're asking this um I see the ego in a lot of ways there, uh, you know, I don't necessarily just have one type of answer, but the ego is a structure that, that holds our identity as a person. It holds our identity as who we are individuated from source. So the consciousness of our heart is who we are as source in the sense that I am you and you are me. And, and that is, uh, that we are mirrored reflection of one and the same creator, right? But the ego is where we hold the personality and the personality holds on to uh, traumatic events and experiences as well as accolades. you know, what have we done? Uh, but ultimately the ego is designed to protect us at, at, at a fundamental biological like response. Why is it there? The ego will... There's a book called Buddha's Brain that goes into this in a very boring kind of scientific way. So I'll save you 
two weeks and just tell you what happens in this book. <laughs> but basically, um, the ego structure, as we look at, you know, if in, let's say in ancient times, we're being chased by a saber toothed tiger, or our buddy Frank dies by being eaten by a saber toothed tiger. We know that that's bad. So it leaves a very strong imprint in our instinct. So as we have a child and we actually pass that information down, there's an encoding in our gene that says, if you see a saber toothed tiger, like bolt or fight, like the instinct kicks in. Mm. So now modern day, we have threats all over the place. We have threats in the car. We have threats at school. We have threats online. We have threats with our coworkers. We have threats on where we're going to be attacked in what different kind of shape or form or like how it's going to come to us. Well, our ego keeps the tally. Our ego keeps the score. So if we have a traumatic event or something occurs, the ego actually holds that by means of safety and protection. So I'll speak, I'll speak to this for myself. Let's make it personal <laughs> is so I, part of my life makeup, part of my agreement was I experienced some sexual traumas when I was young. Well, my ego gripped onto that, but I also did not have the emotional capacity when it happened to comprehend what had happened. So it basically just got tucked into a box in my subconscious and was put away. But now what happens is that the ego has literally created barricades in my conscious awareness that don't even let me know it happens. It literally becomes a repressed memory, a repressed memory that I have in my day-to-day -day waking life, no access to until for me, when I was 26, it was 12 years later, something happened from, to me in high school, 12 years later, I now all of a sudden have the emotional capacity because I've been on a healing journey for five years and now I'm able to be able to see and hold myself in a healing sense to be able to reconcile and actually clear through that. But my ego was unrelentless. Like my ego did not want that part to come out because what had also happened was that my ego created a full identity around it. My ego had created a full identity around the pain that I still today am unraveling. It's still, there's lingering moments of this that come up. I am a very strong woman. I have been focused on healing since I was 21 years old. And this is something that still affects me. This is why rape is a problem. It is detrimental. It ruins lives. So that is something that I do feel is a soapbox of mine in this lifetime. <laughs> um, but to unravel that for me to heal and for me to actually come into a place of wholeness within myself around what took place, I had to dismantle my ego. I had to dismantle the identity around it that had so many stories around what happened, who I was because of it what society tells us we are as women who've had experiences of being attacked by a man, all of these things that were, that they started to become a part of my personality, but they're not a part of who I am. They're not a part of who I am at the core, my soul, my 
emanation of my divine radiance and resonance. But those stories were embedded in the egoic consciousness. So that's one way of how we see the ego. Now, the ego, I don't believe, is something that is designed to completely be dissolved and to throw out. Because the, my ego, my healthy ego, is also what gives me the courage to be able to, one, share these stories publicly, and not only that, to put a name and face out there that is secure enough to say, I can do what I'm claiming to do, and not only that, I can help you. And so that part of my ego is also very strong, very courageous, very willing, very able. And so I'm just using myself as an example, but there's different ways in how the ego actually shows up that is a part of our entire whole. And, and I think even in psychology and even in spirituality, they just look at a very small part of what the ego fully is. And I don't really think any one person or any one study really actually comprehends what the ego fully is and what its role is in, uh, in the role of a, a person and also in the role of humanity. Mm. Wow, that was a very beautiful explanation and it made a lot of sense. And some of the things that you were saying were just like connecting so many dots inside my mind mm -hmm. when it came to the identity that you formed around a certain experience or a certain trauma, um, which was just, it made a lot of sense given my, my journey and how it works. It's almost like the ego is like this software that just programs itself from our experiences. Now we have to reprogram it again. Yes. And it takes, yes. it takes a lot of different cycles and, you know, a lot and of work to, to do that. What I would say to that is like the benefit, because I'm a big why person. I want to know why. So as I'm healing through that, I want to know why did I have those life experiences? You know, it wasn't just, okay, wrong place, wrong time. I'm like on a soul level. I want, I want to know why. Now, I believe that I've had those experiences to understand from the inside out what that level of oppression feels like. Because to be able to climb out of that emotional and energetic experience it really takes a lot. It really, truly takes a lot. And when we look at the oppression of the divine feminine, I'm not going feminist on this by any means. I'm talking about the divine feminine energy that lives in all men and in all women, all human beings, mm. that the divine feminine nature that is intuition is poo-pooed as a lesser intelligence to logic and reason. And when those two are balanced, the complements of what we are capable of is extraordinary. We look at art, we look at culture, we look at music, we look at dancing. These are all divine feminine Sarasvati uh, attributes. We look at nurturing, we look at compassion, we look at you know what is a divine feminine quality these are qualities that have been wildly, wildly oppressed through, for thousands of years, not just a little bit of time. These are things that have been going on for a long time. And so I believe that myself as a single cell microorganism on this planet had the experiences that I had to be able to understand how to reconcile and rebalance the scales 
because of the wisdom that my soul also agreed to. So it takes me out of being a victim of circumstance, takes me out of being a victim at all, and actually being able to empower me because now <clears throat> I have been able to embody a different sense of resolve in climbing out of those experiences than people who haven't had that particular experience. And I'm not minimizing or maximizing any form of trauma in any way, shape or form, but I do believe that some of the real, real, excuse my French, which is fucked up things that happen to us in this world, they truly are here, no matter how destructive they are, to be able to help build a certain level of strength in humanity. And at the same time, do I also believe that anchoring heaven on earth as a reality that we can all co-create together is an extraordinarily beneficial thing for new souls that are coming in so that they can actually start from not being traumatized? from not having to heal, from not having to like climb out of the dungeon of rock bottom. Mm. Absolutely. So I can see the sacred nature in what takes place in this world and on this planet. I, I see why there is an influence of chaos and fear and I see where the empowerment comes of watching somebody being able to help themselves and heal themselves out of a circumstance that has created that kind of pain. Mm. So we volunteered to come here at this very dark time to for the next generation to make the world a better place and bring in more light. So the ones who stand after us are standing on our shoulders, so to speak. Yes. Mm. Yes. At least that's um, that's a bit of my own perspective. Helps yeah. me helps me understand and not be so bitter about this crazy world because there is a lot of things that you know I'd rather mm. not see. Absolutely. Now I have a couple more questions here. If you if you've got time, I can go through them with you. Um, yes. But yeah, I'm still sort of I'm still integrating the conversation. <laughs> I'm sure I have more questions for you, but I need to go back and rewatch this all because there was so much you've just crammed into a very small amount of time. Um, just like lessons upon lessons so thank I like you nutrient much. dense you know what I mean let's go yeah. for it. <laughs> very very nutrient dense it's not very often I have a conversation like this with somebody who sort of understands and knows so deeply that we can go into these little topics that makes and just show the the root system of them and how intricate they really are like that whole definition of ego is still getting me <laughs> um, <laughs> well thank you for that reflection I've I've dedicated my life to curiosity in this way. And mm. so to be at this point in my life where I feel that I'm able to share and, you know, have people like you show up in my life that are interested in asking these questions, it, it's the most fulfilling thing for me. You know, mm. it's exciting when you find somebody that's excited about the things that you're excited about. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. It is, it is very nice. It's very uncommon too, but it's getting more common as we go. Like um, yes. entering different, when I started this podcast, I've entered so many different communities and so many different people that it's just expanded my life, you know, 10, 20, hundredfold. Mm -hmm. And it's still unraveling, which is just fantastic to see. Um, quantum jumping is a subject I want to talk to you about. Yes. And um, I just want to know, is that the same thing as timeline jumping? And should our intentions be to quantum leap out of this timeline or should our intention be to help and heal the people in this timeline or both at the same time? So I love, I love this. 
when I, when I look at timelines and like shifting timelines, I see a different visual than when I think, or I see, or talk about quantum leaping, quantum jumping. Um, to, to me, like shifting from timeline to timeline is, is almost like it's a choice like it's a choice that is okay i'm here and i want to be there so i'm making a choice and now i'm going to go here so a lot of like the mumbo jumbo about timeline hopping and all of that and i'm a part of the mumbo jumbo i'm putting this out there because i like this language is that um is that (laughs) is that it really comes down to choices Every single time, every single move we make to turn right or to turn left or to have a smoothie for breakfast or to have a sandwich or, you know, whatever it is, it's like we have these choices and they actually set us on different timelines. So in that sense, there are a million different timelines that we can choose at all times. And in that world of quantum possibilities, it's like everything coexists. So when I talk about quantum leaping and quantum jumping, the reason I get really excited about this is that I have had, um, I've had a lot of really profound quantum leap experiences where I have gone from living and existing in one particular, um, area of my life, like one trajectory. I don't want to say areas and location, but like one particular trajectory where things got a little bit stagnant and I wasn't quite happy with it. And I also, especially in my twenties, I was like a little bit arrogant and a little bit cocky with what I could do with energy as we are in our twenties and like feeling a little invincible and was like, I can do it. (laughs) So I would like challenge myself to see how I could take these leaps and take these jumps. What I learned from them is that it, it really is like law of attraction, right? We can prime our frequency inside. So for me, it's not even necessarily that a quantum jump is like a choice, like a timeline. A quantum jump is that we literally purge so much out of our energy body in a very short period of time that it aligns us on a frequency level to a completely different life experience. Like a quantum leap is, okay, this is how things are going right now. And I want them to be going this way. So this is what happened when I was in my, um, when I was in my early twenties, um, or not early twenties, I'm sorry, late twenties is that. I was working with a business coach. I was like making a thousand dollars a month, uh, as a psychic handing out flyers being like, you know, trying to get one off readings for 125 bucks, that sort of thing. I'd already done readings for a psychic hotline. You know, I've kind of been like (laughs) in the world, but I hadn't really made a career out of being a psychic, you know? And so I hired a business coach and he, it was $25,000 for the year. I'd never even like had a conversation about that kind of money before in my life. Um, Well, I started paying him $2,500 a month, which was a lot for me at that time. And it started to elevate my awareness of what was possible because I had to make that payment. I knew what I needed to do to start making that kind of money. So within four months, I had already started making over over $10,000 a month. And not even knowing it, like it was happening so easily that it was just like, oh, wow, cool, nice. Well, at that point, I had already got a message from my guides that they're like, okay, now you're going to launch your own $25,000 program and you're going to call it this. 
and this is what it's going to be sort of thing. And I was like, no, that's terrifying. I don't want to do that. So I'm like negotiating with my guides and da, 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 da. Well, eventually, of course, I surrendered because it's my destiny. And so I'm listening to them. And I, I got a little bit cocky. You know, my, my mentor who had been doing this work with Eckhart Tolle and was working with Marion Williamson and Caroline Miss and Jack Kornfield, like all these huge names, he's, you know, leading this $25,000 mastermind. I'm like, well, if he can do it, I can do it because what I'm getting out of this, I know I could deliver sort of thing. And so I end up launching a $25,000 mastermind using Facebook lives only videos, not a launch plan, not a professional marketing thing, not, not anything other than following my intuition and just going for it, like full pedal to the metal. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make this happen. This is what's like meant to be sort of thing. And I went, I ended up making over $200,000. I sold out my launch in wow. less than two months. And the people that were in my program, my cohorts in it, they were, you know, they were like, when I got in the program, I didn't know what an email list was. I didn't know what an opt-in was. I was like completely oblivious to all this stuff. Um, and so I was able to make that happen. And then when I looked at, because I'm looking at my cohorts and like, how was I able to do that? And these people have been trying to do this for years and not able to do that. What was the difference? The, mm. the number one thing and the, the biggest, if not like the only thing that really was there was that I was willing to face my stuff. I was willing to face my blocks. I was willing to face my patterns. I was willing to face my shadows. I was willing to face where I was self-sabotaging myself. I was willing to face these things within myself that didn't, that were getting in the way, but then I was able to transmute them very quickly. And then in another quantum leap that I was able to create, it was moving from Bali to Dubai and working with high level people in the crypto field in Dubai, which, you know, was like, it was not something that I was aiming for. I'll put it that way. I mm. just wanted my circumstances to change drastically. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready for something new. I want to see something different change. And so the thing with quantum leaping because timelines are a choice, right? Well, the thing about a timeline is that there's momentum behind it. It's already happening. Well, a quantum leap is kind of like a high jump. So if you create this leap and you create this vibrational currency that basically like sends something up into the air very high, the real mastery with a quantum leap comes with actually being able to stabilize at that frequency, which is challenging. Mm-hmm. So you can create it. You can create that momentum. You could create that, you know, that slingshot that's going to like the arrow is going to push that momentum forward really fast and you can change the frequency, but it's only really a matter of time before those old patterns start slipping back in because it's what's comfortable. So if you're not actually being agile with your own inner world about what patterns are coming in and what behavior traits are starting to sneak back in that would land you back in the vibrational currency of where you were before, then it's going to kind of like you know, shift things in a different way. And that's where people have rise and falls. And I've had a couple myself. And so that's where I had to assess, okay, well that, you know, the face plant hurt. So what happened? (laughs) And that's where I started to learn. Oh, so it's like a stabilization. It's a consistency thing. It's a being able to actually hold that frequency, which is so unfamiliar. 
that's the thing is that our default, our egoic default goes back to what's familiar. So we have to kind of restructure our own personality, our own behavior traits, our own patterns to be able to actually hold that new frequency and stabilize it as our new norm. And then a quantum leap doesn't just become a peak experience. It becomes something that's able to stabilize. Well, so this is what's happening when people are doing manifestation techniques and law of attraction. We're actually, we're actually moving to the goal rather than pulling the goal to us. Depending on the goal, obviously. <laughs> yes and no to both of those. The way that I see it is that it's actually being gestated from internally. Okay. It, it's that the frequency itself is being created within. And so by that happening, we are being magnetized and are magnetizing. Wow. Okay. Yep. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yes. That makes what, something that I really love to do is I love studying stars. Like I love watching documentaries of Amy Winehouse, Jim Morrison, um, Lady Gaga, Paul McCartney. Who are the ones mm. that have been able to stabilize the frequency and stabilize that with grace? You know what I mean? That didn't get all weird and sideways with fame and, and being in the limelight, that sort of thing. That's true. Yeah. I'm very fascinated by Deepak Chopra in this respect. Mm -hmm. um, and people like Oprah and Wayne Dwyer, people like that who seem to create this really beautiful life of this miraculousness every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, um, absolutely. The word of the day for me. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I can jump and I can taste these experiences and I'm falling back to old patterns again. And I have these amazing memories of these tastes of these different experiences. I've never been able to hold it and stabilize it in my life. Yeah. I guess that's that's the mastery. Trip. Yep. That's the mastery. Yeah. And that's all that's also really what Rise is about. Mm. Like that is folded into the bedrock of what we do in Rise. Beautiful. And what about the other one you got going on, which is the um, embodying the higher self? Yes, the um, embody your higher self is, uh, it's, it's like the, someone just wants to kind of dip their toe in and not fully commit to rise. <laughs> the embody yeah. your higher self place is a great place to start. It's a series of transmissions. So they're guided uh, channeled transmissions that came through me with the intention of helping the individual soften their identity, soften their consciousness, soften their heart, really just peel away layers and peel away layers and peel away layers until the conscious awareness of the, the, the higher self within becomes more of a daily consistent awareness rather than a peak experience. So embody your higher self will, I mean, let's just play with words a little bit. Embody your higher self is like um, creating a quantum leap of the awareness of your higher self and then stabilizing into that on a daily basis. Beautiful. Yes. Like right. when you think of who you are in your best self and how you want to handle situations from a heart centered place, that's your higher self at all mm -hmm. times. Abraham Hicks would call it your inner being. So I, I titled the course seven weeks to embody your higher self. And then I was like, that's a bold move spirit. Like where <laughs> is that really the thing? You know, it took me years to cultivate that understanding of what was actually happening. 
And then it was like, yes, the quickening is here. People are ready for it. Uh, and not only that, the embody, your higher self, you're already embodied in it. You just don't know it. You're just not aware of it. You're just not actively connecting with that part of who you are. So it's, it's really not necessarily about like reaching out outside of you, grabbing this part of you that's there. Like your ego is so far behind the times of what your higher self knows. So it's really just peeling away the layers so that you can consciously connect with that part of your infinite being that's there. And through that, soul memories come up, past life understandings come up, soul purpose comes up, you know, the things that bring fulfillment and relieve anxiety of the pressure of what am I doing here? It's like, mm. oh, I know what I'm doing here. And now I get to do it. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Are you ready for my last question? Yes. Okay. If you had the opportunity to speak with a billion people plus or implant a thought into the collective consciousness to be embodied, what would that one message or thought be? Ooh. Yeah, the I'm going to go with what came first and it's right in line with Ram Dass and Eckhart Tolle, which would be be here now presence mm. absolute presence beautiful that's where the magic happens isn't it <laughs> mm -hmm. all right hey thank you so much for this interview this has been absolutely amazing i'm sure we have to watch this a few times to really <laughs> let it sink in but i'm very grateful yeah yes i am as well thank you so much for the opportunity it it's it's exciting. I took a few, a few years off from, you know, even doing this kind of work during the pandemic was working in crypto. Like I said, I went on a couple of really interesting, absolutely a part of my destiny adventures going, what is this? And so mm. to come back and be here, this is actually my first like interview, first podcast in, in a few years. So I, I appreciate this opportunity to to get back in the saddle in this way. Amazing, amazing. And just a quick one. Um, what are your thoughts on crypto? And what did you learn in Dubai in regards to crypto? Is that a big that, question? That, that could honestly be a whole other podcast episode. Um, I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. I still have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, I really believe that there are souls who have come to this planet to create the tech that technology i don't think they're reptilian i don't think they're weird grays i don't think they're like you know whatever these stories are that the advancement of technology comes from some sort of like the dark side whatever that is mm -hmm. um i just don't feel that and for me that information comes from doing personal readings with people who had created extraordinary technology or who were participating in some of the, uh, of that world what i will 100 percent say without a doubt it is pickled with criminals it is pickled with greedy narcissists it is pickled with a lot of from my personal 
perspective and judgment, undesirable qualities um, in humans. So with that being said, so is politics, so is the world of lawyers, so is the world of lobbyists, so is the world of warmongers, so is the world of all these other things. So I find it interesting when people want to point and project that, you know, crypto is full of a lot of bad and dark things. I actually don't think that any more so than any other industry in the world. You know, it's like, if we really think about it, how, what percentage of the world is civilized? What percentage of the world isn't breaking laws? What percentage of the world isn't corrupt? What percentage of the world isn't already doing these things? What I love about crypto is that they, that they're creating an opportunity for global financial equality. I actually appreciate that very much. When I was in Bali during the pandemic, uh, watching what was happening to the local Balinese and you know the people whose just currency, the exchange rate was better, which allowed us to have um, a better quality of life sort of thing, but not for anything other than where we were born. And I, I think that humanity is at a huge disservice by having a lot of brilliant humans whose potential is not able to actually be experienced because of the access to resources. So that kind of global equality as far as resources and education and opportunity for those that want it is a beautiful thing. I really think that's a beautiful thing. And that's my perspective and my stand on that. Um, and there will be a lot of shadow and dark things and, and, you know, the balance of what comes with new technology and the advancement. You know, technology has helped advance healthcare and healthcare has also created a very sick popu population. Mm. So it's, it, it's kind of like there's a light and shadow to it in a lot of different ways. Just the nature of earth at the moment, I'd say. Uh, yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm not like, yay, it's the answer to everything. And I'm also not, it's the worst thing in the world. You know, I, I, I actually kind of stand in a middle ground with it. I think what it comes down to is what projects are you investing in in the same way with stocks? Like, do if you're interested in it, do your research, understand it, get involved, talk to the people that are part of the projects, you know, you learn about it through curiosity. Mm. I happened to fall into it twice, not because I was actually interested in it. Like I said, I think it's a destiny thing for me. I know it's a destiny thing for me. And so I was exposed to a very high level of it to have, I think, a higher level understanding, uh, especially from my perspective and my ability to to, to see the world and connect with people in that way and to do personal readings with people that are creating the technology. Um, and so that's actually a part of my own business plan as well for the next, you know, three to five years is being able to create uh, a, an ecosystem using web three technology for Monad and for the people that are actually certified through the rise program. So there will be, and the thing with crypto is that like all the scams and all the illegals and all the like crazy things that are happening and there, there will be more arrests for sure. <laughs> um, but that there are a lot of people who, whose word is good, whose heart is pure, whose light worker, you know, my, my DNA is the entrepreneurial thing. There's people who as light workers, 
their DNA is to create technology that's going to help humanity and evoke creativity and all sorts of other things. And so there, there will be a, a baseline or foundation of people who have an integrated interest in making sure that it works, who are also operating from a baseline of integrity that wants to see the industry succeed. And there are enough of those people who I believe are soul destined to play that role that I don't think that crypto will shut down. I don't think there's just too many brilliant minds. There's way too many, too many brilliant minds. And if they're criminals because they're outside of political laws, like whatever, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's no, no. kind of like nondescript when it comes to who's creating the technology in the first place anyway. 100%. And um, the banking system now, the financial system now, we know is riddled with insanity and crime and whatever else. It's just mm -hmm. a system. So I think crypto will be a big improvement if it can even out, you know, the playing field for everybody. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you have so many countries that are encouraging it. And because we're working with a global web, they can't shut it down. You know, China can shut it down, but then Dubai is like, we're leading the metaverse. We're creating it here. So where do all the Chinese criminals go to Chinese criminals by Chinese laws go to Dubai to create mm. the technology or they go to some other country where it's complete open territory. And if you have enough of those on the planet, like it has to be a global decision that it's available or it's not, or it's not going to shut down. And that just isn't the case right now. So yeah beautiful oh. yeah so here we but go future looks very exciting <laughs> yes <laughs> all right beautiful thank you so much yes we'll end it there for, but yeah very very grateful yeah thank you so much for your questions i really appreciate the opportunity to to just open some of these pickle jars <laughs> mm. and share it's so refreshing to be able to talk about it like i said so thank you very much no worries at all. All right. You take care and I'm sure we'll speak soon. All right. Sounds good. Ciao. Bye.